Welcome back, Coyotes fans, to another rendition of the Chirpin' Yotes podcast. I'm Tyler. Joining me, as always, Ted Head Grandy and our special guest, Matt Mastrangelo, who we'll introduce in a second. Boys, how are we doing? Doing pretty good. It's a, it's shorts weather up here in Minnesota, actually. Nice, balmy 41 degrees. I'll take it after the near freezing weather we had the last several weeks before the new year. But uh, aside from that, just watching watching a ton of hockey as per usual and trying to avoid the NFL playoffs since my team is an utter absolute disappointment. How about you guys? Um, well, I'm apparently enjoying the weather you guys just got rid of uh, out, out here freezing just a little bit. Um, also not really watching the NFL playoffs because, well, my team disappointed this year as well, but, you know, sticking with the hockey stuff, uh, was actually just watching Colorado absolutely kill Calgary. It's always fun because anybody who knows me knows I'm not a huge fan of Canadian teams. Yeah, me neither. Got that in common for sure. Uh, so, Matt, you're our special guest today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself, uh, kind of let the audience know what you're all about. Um, so, I I've, was born and raised in Tucson. I've grown up in Arizona my whole life. I started playing hockey when I was, you know, five or six years old. Um, played on and off most of my life. Uh, I was a Coyote season ticket holder up until the move to, to Tempe, um, you know, just from a I don't know, financial and logistical standpoint, it, it didn't seem to make sense, but I think I'll be back to it next year. Um, I'm a admin along with a few other people for the Arizona Coyotes fans group. Um, been doing that for about five years, and I am a draft and prospect enthusiast. Draft and prospect enthusiast. I think I know one yeah. of those. In hmm. fact, uh, in fact, Matt actually is really the guy who early conversations on Facebook from years back. He's the guy who kickstarted my love of draft and prospects and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, joined a, through the first the Coyotes groups, and then we joined. We are in a uh, NHL prospect group where we would do a yearly mock draft. I don't know if you remember that, Matt. Yep. But yeah, I do. Those, it was usually two rounds. Um, I hate to say, but I, I don't think any of us were anywhere near close to right. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it seemed like there were more trades than picks made. Yeah, there were. There was a time I was the Minnesota Wild where I traded literally the entire team just to trade up to up, up to number four to draft Trevor Zegers. That was fun. Uh, but... Yeah, so Matt's really the guy who really sparked that and has helped me come a long way in uh, how I view prospects and how I do my very amateur scouting. So, Well, and, and I would put me in the same category, very amateur when it comes to this. I, I don't get out to, to any prospect games or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I get to see what everybody else gets to see, the, the videos and the highlight reels and occasionally watch some college games and and things of that nature but i don't claim to to be an expert so everybody please keep that in mind while they're listening to this and at home disagreeing yeah the debate's the fun part though so that's what i'm mm -hmm. looking forward to for sure okay. it is. 
All right, let's do it. All right, so we have two professors today, Professor Matt, Professor Grandy. Can't wait to hear that later on. Just a quick shout out before we get into the meat of the episode. Happy special birthday to PD of PHNX. Big fan of that podcast out here. Great guy. Um, go ahead. I'm sure you listeners usually tune into both podcasts. So, you know, just want to give a quick shout out to that. So another unveiling we had today, we had the alternate jerseys designed by Ruiki Villasenor. Hope I said that right. Sorry about that. Uh, dubbed as the Desert Knights jersey. Before we kind of get into more of the details, boys, what's your quick first impressions of them? Honestly, I thought the actual tweet itself looked better than the early leaks. I'm still, I'm just meh on them. They're, I don't know, there's just something about wordmark jerseys that just doesn't do it for me unless you're the Rangers or the Penguins. So I just, it's meh for me. I like the color. I like some of the details, like the two Saguaros making the A. I love that personally. Um, But... Yeah, just meh on it as a whole. I hope I'm proven wrong, like I was with the reverse retros when those stepped on the ice. I thought those looked great, and then on the ice they looked not so great. But, uh, yeah, let's... Uh, uh, Matt, what's your thoughts on them, though? Um, I'm kind of with you on that. I, I wasn't overly impressed. Um, in fact, one of the... The first thing said in, in one of the group chats that I'm in was Roll Tide. And I just kind of laughed at that. They they definitely have like an Alabama Crimson Tide feel to them. Uh, my personal opinion that it almost, it, it would have been a great D-backs jersey. Um, oh, yeah, good point. I, I thought that they... They kind of have like a, a baseball feel to them, and there's nothing wrong with that. I they may grow on me, but I don't know. I nothing jumped out at me right away, and and made me go, "Wow, those are awesome!" I I hope they replace the Kachina because I I don't think they're anywhere near that. I think they're. I like what they're about, kind of thing. I, I Granny mentioned, you know, the crossed cacti for the A and the crescent moon being the captain's patch. And I think uh, on the article there, I think the, he, himself, he said that it was uh, kind of inspired by the community, the clay, the roots of Arizona culture kind of thing. And I like that kind of stuff. I like that we're trying to really, really send home the we're an Arizona hockey franchise, especially the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, it did grow on me. Definitely, like you said, Grandy, when they saw the tweet, I definitely liked them a lot more. So we'll see when they get up the ice you know i used to not like detroit's and i saw detroit's reverse retro on the ice and i love them so hopefully same kind of uh reaction there so the one the one big thing i'm i'm not sure i'm a fan of is i think they wrote they're gonna they're gonna wear them 14 times before the season's over Mm -hmm. i I think that leaves what two for the howling head which they have to they have to wear um because i think it's what four games at home four games on the road um in order to keep that logo um so they still have two more games at home where they've got to wear that jersey and i think it only leaves nine games for the black kachina for the rest of the way so we'll see that jersey more often than not yeah that that 14 games after you had mentioned that to me earlier I looked it up, and we usually wear jerseys or third jerseys around 10 to 15 times a year but that's over the full year. This is, we're fitting fourteen in at the end of the year, and that's really 
three months jammed in there. Um, one thing though, I would definitely with the uh, jerseys. I do really wish we had done something with the howling head on it instead of the word marks. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, or howling... even yeah, just something. I think it would have looked a lot sharper and better in my very not fashion oriented opinion. You're not a fashionista, with, on with the, yeah, with the logo over the word marks. But then again, like I said, I'm just not a fan of word mark jerseys as a whole outside of the two teams. So. I, I wonder if they had originally tried to incorporate it somehow. My my guess is there's a color disconnect there. Um, the Howling Head's kind of a vibrant red, and this jersey's not. Um, I it almost makes me wonder if if there was an original thought to use that and it it clashed with what they were doing. That would make that would make sense. That would make sense. Yeah. You'd almost have to like. Look at look at the howling head in a negative at that point, um, or like black it out, black and white type deal, just mm-hmm. to make you know, fit that jersey. The other thing too I know is that this guy that designed it is, um, he's designed a lot of stuff that like NBA athletes wear on the sideline, mm-hmm. um, and generally a lot of the stuff they wear is word mark stuff, but. So I was kind of part of my thinking with it too, but I could easily see what you're saying though too, because yeah, that is a very different shade of red. So why are we keeping the howling head around anyway? You know, are we trying to phase all that out anyway? I don't know why we have to have the two jersey. I'm guessing one of the two doesn't survive into next year. Either the howling head goes away and we see this become the permanent third jersey or the response to this isn't well perceived and this becomes a a limited one-time one-year run um (laughs) i similar to what what they did with the what actually inspired the reverse retro the original green jersey i believe was only worn for two years um and it it actually saw an overwhelming negative review which uh, you know, I'm sure apparently a lot of people will disagree with me, but that was one of my favorite Coyotes jerseys of all time uh, was oh. that green. And um, would still to this day, if if somebody reproduced it, I'd buy three or four of them and have them personalized. I love those. Me and my I family remember. used to call them the peyote green. But, yeah. uh, that was actually <laughs> the very first NHL jersey I ever owned was one of those. Um, so yeah, I, I had a very soft spot in my heart for it. I personally thought it looked better with the purple than the green. Yeah, I definitely. thought the purple was just incredible. That purple reverse retro was an incredible Jersey. Um, it, it took me a little while to come around to it just because the green was always my favorite. And I felt like it, it was a slap in the face to not be able to get a green one, but I could go buy it in purple, but I, yeah. I I kind of agree with you. It grew on me, and and it definitely did become one of my favorite. And like you, that that green one, I can't say it was my first NHL jersey because before the Coyotes were here, um, I I think I actually had a uh, a Penguins jersey uh, because my neighbor at the time was a Penguins fan and and got me one. 
my first Coyotes jersey was one of the the green green ones with uh, Keith Kachuk's name on. But yeah, no, I love the green. Uh, I love the green Coyote jersey. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was it was a great classic jersey that got way too way too much hate back in the day. I loved seeing it back from both reverse retros. So I will say though the purple still wins, but the stuff around the reverse retro, like I have like the windbreaker Adidas made. I got a couple of the hats, like the stuff around with that desert sienna. I love the jersey on the ice, not as much. I also love the orange yeah. NHL shields. I keep forgetting to bring that up, but those orange NHL shields I just freaking love. I'm not <sighs> I don't necessarily agree. I think the purple looked good on the ice. I don't like the burnt orange on the ice. That's what I mean. Yeah, I don't like the burnt orange on the ice either. Yeah, the, the one thing we've got going right now, I'm not a fan of it on the ice at all. No, mm-hmm. and it was a bummer. I thought it looked really sharp when I first saw it. I liked, I liked the additional jersey design right up until that first game and watching the whole kit together. It's just like, oh, there's just something yeah. off with it. It's just... It was an ugly mess. Speaking of the whole kit with the new jerseys, the uh, leaked photo of the pants uh, with the saguaro on them in red. I I dig those. Those look good. Yeah, they do. Yeah, that's kind of my hope with this is that the exact opposite way I felt with the reverse retros happens here, where I like the reverse retros until they hit the ice. I really hope that happens here, where. I'm not crazy about these, and then they hit the ice, and it's like, wow, I see what they are going for. Um, I think I might get one, though. I think I might get one. If I can get, a if I get one, the Fanatics will be terrible. If I get one, it's got to have the A, so I think I would go after uh, Kraus with the alternate captain on it. I love that. That cross cracker sign, that was, that was top-notch. Really good idea. Makes you wonder if we'll ever see one of those jerseys with the Crescent C on it. I think the captain is supposed to, but we don't have a captain right now. Yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's what I mean. Do Does that jersey last long enough for us to see one with a Crescent C? I think I so. I, so. I, I want to see the Crescent C in action. Yeah, yeah I want to see the Crescent C in action, so I really hope so. So, out of curiosity, who... Who would you guys like to see wear that? Uh, oh, I am. I'm personally split 50-50, but it's got to be Kraus or Keller. They're the two guys who have... Kraus especially has almost been the face of this rebuild. He hasn't... Keller is our best player, but Kraus is, seems to be the, uh, the voice of the locker room. He seems to be the guy that's always there for quotes when you need it. I'm starting to lean more towards the Kraus over Keller, but I think either way, those are the two linchpins of this rebuild right now that are on the team. They are two of the pieces of the foundation that are going to be here long-term. I think it's got to be one of those two. I agree with it being one of those two. Um, Personally, for me, what tipped the, the scales to Keller um, was the town hall that that the Coyotes had, was that about a month and a half ago or so, uh, where Keller, Schmaltz, and uh, Christian Fisher showed up, and Keller actually spoke at it. Um, to me, a big part of being a captain, I, and maybe this is just the missing Shane Doan 
in me. But um, seeing Keller support for the team in Arizona and, you know, his public display of that. Um, I, I don't know if he's a loud guy in the locker room or anything like that. We can all speculate on that. And, you know, he he doesn't quite show the emotion on the ice that Kraus does. So it makes you wonder. Um, and he says, um, in his interviews a hundred times in one sentence, it, he's not the soundbite that Kraus is either, but I do think there's a love for the team and a, a leadership aspect on and off the ice. Uh, kind of that quiet aspect, almost like the Sedin Sedin's had when, you know, one war a C, one war an A in Vancouver. They weren't the loudest guys, but, you know, the what that team meant to them and, and the passion that they had for it and for the city, I, I think that plays a, a pretty big role in me leaning Keller over Kraus. I will say, after making an argument that Kraus's leadership was partially due to his being loud, right after making that, I do want to point out that one of the greatest captains of all time, Nicholas Lindstrom, was quiet as a church mouse. So, yeah, yeah, he was. Sometimes, sometimes it's the you know lead by example on the ice and. I don't know about you guys, but I I can't say I've seen Keller take a game off. I, his play has dropped a little over the last couple of weeks. He seems a little frustrated, you know, maybe making a few bad plays here and there. But I don't see him coasting around out there. I don't see him, you know, sitting on the bench looking like he doesn't want to take another shift. I I like the the effort and the intensity that he seems to bring, and lately. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but he's been trying to throw hits. And maybe that's just some of that frustration and the aggression, but his physical play, he's, he just seems a little more engaged as of late. His captaincy is growing. He's like a butterfly. He's in his chrysalis phase. We're almost there. Uh, so is that is that your choice, Tyler? Oh, yeah. yeah, I think he'll probably be the captain. Not that I don't love Klaus, because I do, but I think Keller will be the captain. This it's it's just so funny hearing you say that knowing how I know. knowing how this mm-hmm. friendship started was essentially a long me road. bickering back and forth about Keller. Mm-hmm. I know. And I actually have a Keller shirt right in my closet. I see right here the first retro purple one. I see it looking at it and I'm like, wow, times have changed. So on that note, can I ask you guys how you feel about Barrett Hayton? Because Barrett Hayton's getting a similar treatment where I think a lot of people have given up on him in a similar fashion that they did on Keller in year three and year four, talking about, you know, him being overpaid, him not wanting to be here. And everybody seemed like they were in line to ship him out of town. Kind of seeing that for from a lot of fans about Barrett Hayton lately. With Barrett Hayton, I see two things. I see a phenomenal defensive forward who does all the little things really really well and a guy who needs skill on his line and early until the last couple weeks he was playing with the likes of Nick Ritchie and Liam O'Brien and that's not skill he's really flashed these last two three weeks I thought he I think he's looked incredible these last three weeks one of our 
maybe five best forwards, him, Bukestead, Keller, mm-hmm. Kraus. Um, I think he's looked really, really good the last couple weeks with him being either with Kraus or with Keller or with these guys has allowed him to flash more of that skill. So do you think some of the hate for him is unfair? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I do. do. Think it? I think it's unfair. I think I don't think he'll ever live up to his draft choice, and I think that's always going to drive a large part of the hate. But I do think the hate is unfair when it comes to him because he does a lot of stuff really well out there. He is, even if his offense goes away again, he is a very, very solid bottom six center. He's got a role he'll play on this team. It's just where he ends up. And I think if you put him with skill, that skill will flash back. So do you think two years from now, Tyler's going to own a Barrett Hayton sweater? Probably not, but I'll definitely own like a jersey or something. <laughs> not a hate him. It's not a hate against him. It's just he's not a kind of player I'd want a jersey for. And it's not a diss to him. It's just, yeah, I like him a lot. I'm cheering for him. But it's not a jersey. It's just a sweater I'd want. I do have the Barrett Hayton sweater, so. That's right, you do have one. Yep. The yeah, Howlin' Head. I do need to get a new one. I think I'm getting a Keller, though, a white Keller here soon. Probably going to pick one up. Uh, so is that is that your thoughts on it, uh, Tyler? Mm-hmm. That you like him, just not your favorite type of player? Yeah, it's not my favorite type, but I like him. Cheering for him, I definitely... I've always kind of had a soft spot for him, too. Kid seems like a nice kid, so he does well. The Coyotes do well, but it's, it's an all-win, you know? I don't want anybody to be playing our team that's bad or anybody on our team to play bad and, you know, bring us down, so. Well, maybe maybe not in the future, but this year I'm not really against it. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, gotta remember the, gotta remember yeah, the end right. goal of this year. Yeah, but I mean, as long as he does well personally, his personal goodness and stays on the team i'm happy i should say that we did get our first win of the year last night so i i was actually talking with grandy about this i don't know three four nights ago um before the detroit game and this was the game that i hoped they won we talked about you know how important it was to lose against some of the other teams in the tank race that we played earlier in the month chicago san jose ottawa um, and I, I couldn't have worked out better as far as the tank goes. I know it's frustrating to lose nine straight, um, as a player and as a fan, it's kind of hard to watch, but they were in a lot of those games, which made it entertaining hockey. But I, I think as a team, they needed this in a big way. Um, I mean, I, does Keller take a five minute major for a cross check to the throat if, the Coyotes hadn't lost, what, seven straight going into Ottawa? It's got to be one. I wanted this win really bad. I know we need a tank, but I really wanted this win so bad. Yeah. Um, and with two games on the horizon against the Ducks, those are almost must-lose games because if we lose both those games, we pass them in the reverse standings. So, and, and additionally, uh, on the horizon tomorrow, Anaheim plays Columbus while we play Washington. So, uh, let's hope for a three point game out of that Anaheim Columbus game. And 
let them gain some ground. Uh, Chicago and Philadelphia. I know Philadelphia is kind of pulled out of that tank race, but we're starting to see some of the teams who were racing playing each other over the next couple of weeks. And there's a real good chance to, to gain some ground there. Uh, San Jose and Columbus play on Saturday as well. Um, so that's a big one. Yeah, it's, we couldn't, we were never going to lose every single game of the year. If you're hoping for that, that's kind of weird as a fan. Um, like, like I've said many times, early season Chicago, they've turned it around. They've looked better as of late, but early season Chicago, where you just looked at them and saw a complete tire fire. I never wanted to be that bad. I think being that bad is bad for your organization both now and in the long term. Um, so we still want to see some wins. We still want to see these players get that hope. It's just you got to lose the right ones. And games coming up are the right ones versus last night against Detroit. Detroit is technically in their tank battle. Is they're technically in the race for Bedard, but they're so far behind us at this point. It's not even, they're not even a threat. We'd have to go on like a 10 game winning streak to even be in their territory at that point. So that's not going to happen. Yeah. I just wanted to win. Cause I'm a part-time Red Wings fan. So I just wanted to win just to win. But I don't know if you guys saw the uh, comments for like the Red Wings side of things, man, those fans are down bad. Holy crap. They're talking about like a new and a second rebuild, trading Larkin at the deadline. Like they are down bad. I'm actually kind of surprised that Larkin hasn't been moved yet. Um, I I like him in Detroit. I think he's he's a huge part of that organization, and I think it would hurt from a PR standpoint more than anything to see Larkin moved. But, man, the return they could get out of him and where they're at in their own rebuild um, – I, it's kind of along the lines of, well, why is Arizona trading away guys like Connor Garland and Christian Dvorak? How effective is, is Dylan Larkin going to be three years from now when Detroit's finally making the playoffs and six years from now when they've graduated enough guys to be a real contender? Probably. I've, I've um, often wondered that myself, especially these last two years where – Dylan Larkin's been good enough to win them a couple games to keep them out of the basement, so essentially worsening their draft pick. But again, what's he going to be when they're good? Um, yeah, almost dead weight, really. Hate to say it, I love Larkin, huge Larkin fan, but I mean, yeah, just trading them for pieces that fit the timeline better. And Larkin would fetch a lot on the market. Looking at what mm-hmm. Horvat's been talking about, the buzz around him, the buzz around Larkin would be just as much, if not more so, than that. So you would get a franchise-changing haul for him almost, I'd think. Kind of like what the Coyotes should get for Chikrin. Man. I don't know that Chicker's going to bring what Horvat or Larkin would bring. Um, 
what Horvat's doing on a bad Vancouver team this year is just flat out unbelievable. Um, the one, the one thing I think that does kind of tie that together, because I agree that he wouldn't in a normal circumstance, um, because centers are just incredibly valuable. You can't. The problem the Coyotes have had throughout their entire franchise is that they haven't had centers. But Horvat is on the expiring deal. So I think that would make him at least at least close to what he, that Vancouver will get for uh Horvat. Yeah, the the only thing that would be uh worth arguing there is that um the pool of teams that can look at Horvat and look to add a guy like Horvat is probably greater than the number of teams looking to add a guy like Chikrin because any team adding Chikrin potentially has to make the money work next year after now we've heard you know the the potential is the cap's only going to raise a million again yeah that that is true I mean we even saw the Bruins there's no way the Bruins are going to be in on Chikrin because because of that reason but they're in on Horvat, and apparently they're one of the teams going the hardest after him. So, well, and if you're Boston, why wouldn't you? I mean, uh, considering the year they've had so far, and knowing that you know David Krejci retired once and went overseas, and he came back, and you know he's here for the year. Uh, Patrice Bergeron was contemplating retirement after last year. Uh, this has to be the go all in year for them uh, because the the likelihood that both those players will be back next year is low. And honestly, without, I mean, you look at where they were without Krejci last year. Yeah, they're still a hundred point team, but they're by far the most dominant team in the league this year. So yeah. this has to be it. If you're going to do it, if Boston's going to go for it, do it this year. Go get Horvat. Trade whatever you need to trade to, to bring him in and make your run. Go for it and beat Toronto in the playoffs. I really hope that happens, honestly, because, like you said, I like Patrice Bergeron. I like David Pasternak. I really, I would love to see Patrice Bergeron lift the cup again because we're not going to this year. So I don't mind that. But, uh, you you left out thing, the you left out the best Bruin of all, Brad Marchand. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring him up. Damn I, it. You know, I love Brad Marchand. I don't care what anybody says. I granted, I love his on ice play. The shit talking. I don't know if I can say that on the podcast. The shit talking earlier in the year about uh, you know Mullet Arena and well, now they only have to give away forty five hundred tickets. Yeah, you know he can go to hell, but. The player, man, who wouldn't love a guy like that on their team? Part of the reason I love Garland so much is I saw Garland turning into a little Brad Marchand light with his trash talking and his his ability to get under the skin of Nathan McKinnon. That's still such a legendary moment from Garland's tenure here when McKinnon threw the helmet at him. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, to be fair, Nathan McKinnon's gone after... Quite a few players here. I, I remember, was it Dyson Mayo that 
McKinnon went after after a 2-1 Coyotes win. Uh, I think there was a face-off in the Coyote zone, a couple seconds left to go in regulation. And I think McKinnon may have taken Mayo's stick up high. And the horn sounded, and McKinnon just lost it and went after Mayo. So McKinnon's got issues with Arizona. Yeah. And Brett. Yeah. Um, but back to the back to the subject at hand after I derailed us a bit there. Um <laughs> Brad Marchand's that guy that you love if he's on your team. You hate if he's not. Pat Beverly's of the league. He's more so because Brad Marchand is an actual superstar. He's a legit top 30, 40 player in the NHL. He's amazing at what he does, and he plays the game so well with every detail of it. It's He truly is an amazing player. It's hard not to admire him, even if I can't stand him. <laughs> but the other reason I would love to see Boston go for him is I think it sparks an all-out arms race in the East. I think you're looking at because the Hurricanes are really close. They're just about there. They just need to add some pieces. You're looking at the Maple Leafs would need to add pieces to slay their dragon in Boston. Um, every team in the East would then need to start adding to try to even hold up to Boston. And that is good news for a team in our position. So that's the other reason I hope Horvat goes to Boston. I think I think the Coyotes would really benefit from that move. Yeah, I guess if we're all putting on our tinfoil hats and looking at two years and Austin Matthews being a UFA, how great would it be to see Boston grab Horvat and then eliminate Toronto? And I guess it'd be the second round this year. They wouldn't be playing in round one. Um, but to see Boston knock Toronto out again. National pastime. Just another early exit. If that's the case, what does Toronto do? Because they got they can't they can't bring back the squad again if that happens. You're not going to be able to trade Tavares. You're not going to be able to trade Marner. Nylander is their best bargain contract. You're not going to be able to trade Morgan Riley. Should that happen, if I'm the Coyotes and we don't get first overall? I am absolutely calling up the Maple Leafs to see what we can do with a package around two, three, four overall for uh, Matthews and just see what else it would take. That's a good idea. I didn't think of that. That's actually a really good idea. I like that. As much as I would love that and love to see that happen, um, I can't imagine Kyle Dubas doing something like that, uh, assuming he's re-signed because his contract does end at the end of this year, but assuming, you know, Dubas is brought back as the GM after a bunch of early exits, what kind of reception do you think ownership would have if he was the guy that traded Austin Matthews? No, it's, it's, bitch either way. it's not happening. It's a, it is 100% pipeline, but they got to do something. You can't bring the band back together. You have so much salary tied up between four forwards and an offenseman that you can't fill out the rest of the roster. Well, to me, Morgan Riley's the problem there. His contract. Uh, he's not 
I think he's a number three defenseman at best. Not third pairing, number three, you know, playing on the second line. He's a great power play quarterback, but honestly, I don't see him being much better than, you know, Tyson Berry or Jake Gardner. Um, Jake Gardner obviously didn't play with, you know, the the big four that they have now, and maybe that affected his output, but I still do kind of see him, you know, in that realm. And they're paying Morgan Riley, what, eight? Point five a year, something around there. Eight point five, and I think it's eight years because the contract kicks in after this year, and I think they signed them to the full eight. I might be mistaken on that part, though. Um, so um, but I know Riley, it's wow. Morgan Riley signed an eight-year, sixty million dollar deal, so seven and a half million a year. Um, and yeah, it's an eight-year deal, so. I, and and Riley's not exactly, you know, I, I don't even think he's OEL when OEL signed his deal. And granted, that deal turned out to be a very, very sour deal. Um, and milk. Yeah. And, and I had a feeling that that's kind of going to be what we're going to see out of Morgan Riley's contract. I think um, you're also you know, going to start seeing that with Tavares, too, because you're going to see... He's always going to put up points. He's always going to do stuff like that. But I think you're going to see less and less effectiveness out of him, especially at the center spot, to the point where they will eventually have to move him to the wing, at which point you're paying, what is it, $10 million to a 35-40 goal winger? I think Tavares is $11 million a year. I think he signed oh, a year, $77 million deal. Oh, just the contracts on that team. It makes you wonder, too, you know, is there anybody that's going to step in and help Toronto? Uh, we've already seen with waivers and stuff like that that, you know, teams are picking up players off Toronto just because it's Toronto. You know, this isn't 2016 or 2017 when they were able to to send uh, Patrick Marlowe to Carolina for basically nothing. You know, I, I don't think we're going to see that. I don't think Toronto's going to get that kind of help. To be fair, that that what they sent to Carolina for Marlowe was the pick that became Seth Jarvis. Carolina did pretty well with that deal. They did, but they... Toronto, they Toronto could use a Seth Jarvis right now. Oh, absolutely. But Toronto was bailed out in a big way by being able to unload Marlowe's contract. So if Toronto called you at the end of this year and said, hey, take anything on our team for taking Tavares's contract, would you say, give me nice and take it? I'm going to say no, and it's not because of the Tavares contract. I think adding somebody like that ultimately it hurts the rebuild if you think about the coyotes went the skilled route they brought in kessel and then mid-season they trade for hall but the rebuild wasn't done yet and it brought them from a, a seller team to a mediocre team and then they had to jump back into to a whole new rebuild three years later because the quality of picks, you know, at 15, 16, set, nothing against Chikrin, you know, being at 15 or whatever. But, 
you know, you're not you're not getting that high end talent at that point. And if they added Tavares and they graduate Logan Cooley next year, you know, you have Gunther, Michelli, uh, Keller, Schmaltz. Does this plus team twenty three pick? Plus the plus Toronto's twenty three pick? No, no, no. Oh, our gotcha. You know, it's not a team ready to compete, but it's a team who's not going to pick top ten again. And now no. you're kind of doing the same thing, and then, you know, maybe even adding Nyes, you know, gets them back to the playoffs, but they'll have too many questions on defense and in net, and they won't land anywhere where they're in a situation to draft those guys that they need to add to their system, um, assuming they're not already in the system. And now you're waiting four or five, six years for those guys to, you know, basically come of age and be NHL defensemen or, you know, a, a true number one goalie. And at that point, all of these guys are, you know, becoming free agents and you're starting back over. So it's not the contract that scares me with somebody like Tavares or, you know, whoever coming here and, and being saddled with that contract for a couple of years. It's what it does to the rebuild. See, and I'm I'm actually 100% with you there because we had the conversation with this in the group chat we were in at the start of this year. Would you do that pick for whatever Toronto offered? And I said no for the same exact reason. Tavares isn't worth his contract. That doesn't make Tavares a bad player. He is still a phenomenal player. He's still great. He's just not worth what he's paid, and those are two completely different things. Um, and we've seen so many rebuilds. Just about every rebuild the Coyotes have done has been killed by the same thing of trying to speed our way out of it. I'm all for this slow burn. I'm all for building through the draft. I, I think this is finally the way we're doing it right. So... As much as it would kill me to say no to Nyes, as much as I would love to see him paired with Cooley, as much as I would love to see the Scottsdale boy on this team, yeah, I don't think you can take that contract. Plus, just that little extra bonus of knowing that you are completely fucking over Toronto helps ease that pain that much more. I hate Toronto. I agree, and I, I unfortunately don't think that, well, I mean, Toronto wouldn't wouldn't look to move Tavares right now for that. That would be something down the line either way. But I also think that, it you know, Toronto would be asking for a piece back that, that helped them, even though it wouldn't be to the extent. But what happens if, if Toronto says, yeah, we'll make that deal, you throw in Karel Vimelka? Well... I, I think Vamelk is a better option than Samsonov or Matt Murray for them. You just help them in a big way, even though it wasn't a huge piece that you gave up. You know, Toronto will get more than, you know, having to pay for Tavares if they tried to move him right now. But there's no way they do. No, there's no way they do. If they try to move anybody, uh, I still don't know who they would move. Because I, I think they would try to move Nylander, and I just think that's a mistake. The, but, the piece they really need to move is Kerfoot. Yeah, he makes too much money to be what he is on that team. 
And that is a contract you're going to have to pay to get rid of. Yeah, even even if you don't have to pay a big price to move it, because the, the numbers are still good there. Um, but, you know, maybe you're giving up a third-round pick to move Kerfoot. You're not getting anything back. And I don't think Toronto's got a piece to to plug in right there. Um, you know, as it is, they're they're not very strong down the left side. You know, I uh, just just saying, there is a perfectly serviceable Jacob Chickering and Nick Bugstead that could be sent that way for them. Fits that salary hole pretty well. You add yeah. that, and you add one more, one more uh, decent-sized piece, about a million dollars in cap. Yeah, that's, that fits that salary. Yeah, I don't know that, that my preferred landing spot or trade partner in a chicken deal is Toronto, though. Um, I, I like Matt Nyes, but there's, there's not much else that Toronto's going to give up. Um, Kyle Dubas has already said that he doesn't want he doesn't want to move his first round pick this year. Um, you know that Toronto has given up first round picks in the fashion that Chicago did. You know in the uh, you know mid teens when they were on their runs, and you know Dubas isn't looking to do that. So I can't imagine a scenario where Arizona gets everything they want in a deal centered around Matt Nye's. No, I don't think it's happening. It's just like, this is all just dreaming. I got about getting the Arizona boy here. My personal preferred destination for chicken oil will be until further notice the Buffalo Sabres. Cause I think one of their third round picks from this year, Savoy, Osland or Coolidge could very easily be available in that trade along with picks and other prospects like an Eric Portillo, who they're probably going to lose regardless. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think Edmonton's mine at this point. Um, I, I have some faith that Philip Broberg is still potentially a, um, you know, a top four defenseman. Um, I I think if you're Edmonton, you have to accept the fact that McDavid and Drysaddle are what four years or three years away from hitting free agency. Um, the in all likelihood, you're not going to be able to afford to re-sign both without paying a massive price to move Evander Kane's contract or Darnell Nurse's contract, which are absolutely asinine. I, I don't I don't understand where you know they felt they needed to pay those numbers to to those guys, but I, I think the two combined for a fifteen million dollar or so cap hit. Um I wanna I've, say Kane's, Kane's contract was like six years, nurses eight. Um, you know, so you have to be looking at what do we do to to win a cup in the next three years? Because yeah, they're not gonna let McDavid go, but the reality is Dreisaitl could very well be a UFA in a few years. As bad as that Morgan Riley contract is, that Darnell Nurse contract has to be one of the worst contracts in the entire league. Eight years at $9.5 million for 
a guy who's I question if he's a top pair defender even. I think he's just like Riley, he yeah. fits best as at number three. I, I don't think Darnell Nurse is the best defenseman on that team. I think it's Evan Bouchard. Um now granted Bouchard's having a little bit of a slump this year, but what we saw from Bouchard last year um is enough to make me believe that uh, he's a small bounce back away from from being the team's best defenseman. So, yeah, I mean, you're you're paying almost ten million dollars to a guy who's not not your team's best defenseman. No, and I was I was watching Edmonton recently, and I was watching Philip Robert play, and he does look he. I always I had always heard in that draft year his biggest question mark was his skating. And I did not see that when I was watching him play. He was a fantastic skater. Um, so I was just watching him trying to get a reformed opinion on him because I did not like him coming out of that draft year. And, yeah, I liked what I saw there. I would not mind him at all. And it does address our biggest hole at uh, prospect going forward, which is defense. We need to start adding defensemen pretty heavily in the next year or two. Yeah, I agree. I I definitely agree. And like I said, I I do like Philip Broberg and and the the biggest thing here is if you're Edmonton and you're looking at some of the prospects that other teams covet, uh, you know, Philip Broberg, Dylan Holloway, um uh Xavier uh Borgolt, uh, you know, there's there's guys there that you might be real high on. But are any of them going to move the needle enough for you to win a Stanley Cup in the next three or four years? No, I mean, Philip Philip Roberg might be Jacob Chikrin in three years, but that's three years away. And and Leon Dreisaitl is only signed through 2024-25. So he's, he's got two years remaining after this year. Man, those next two free agent classes are just loaded. Now, we're going to see a lot of that get sapped away by uh, extensions, but it's just incredible. Yeah, and and Edmonton's put themselves in a a pretty rough situation, too, trying to move guys because you got Zach Iman and Ryan Nugent Hopkins who are both signed, respectively, for six and seven years. Both of those guys are going to be 37 when their contracts end, and both of them have full no-movement clauses. Commander oh, Kane has full no-movement as well. So, I, you know, when you're talking about re-signing McDavid, does anybody actually believe McDavid's going to sign anywhere for less than $15 million if he re-signs in Edmonton? Um, it might be even more on the open market, but if you assume he's at $15 million, you know, and... You've got another fifteen million tied up between Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, and Kane, and then ten million on Nurse. Man, they're they're well over half the cap in five guys. They're in Toronto's situation with another guy they need to sign, and Drysaddle's going to get at least twelve or thirteen million on the open market. They've got to win what, now. I think they need to. What's worse about that Edmonton situation versus that Toronto situation is 
outside of Tavares, all of Toronto's guys are 25 and younger. Uh, not t- outside of Tavares and Riley. But even Riley's only 28, I believe. Um, yeah. All, all those guys you just mentioned are going to be above 30, aside from McDavid and Nurse. And Nurse isn't doesn't play a style that's going to age well or gracefully. No, it doesn't. It definitely doesn't. And right now, I mean, Edmonton's got the offense to win, but I, I mean, you got Darnell Nurse, Tyson Berry, Cody Cece, Brett Kulik. You know, uh, how is how is that the team defense that you're going to rely on in front of Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner? Uh, you know, to win you a cut and and Stuart, or I'm sorry, Jack Campbell's another one. He's 31 years old. He's got a five year, five million dollar contract with a 10 team no trade list. I don't know what. I have no idea what Holland was thinking with these contracts. I have no idea. He's putting them in the same exact position Detroit was in three, four years ago when they fired Holland. And it's going to end messy. I don't see how McDavid signs with the Oilers his next thing. I don't know. Well, and, and I think for him to do it, they've got to win. And if they're going to win, that that's why I think I'd like to see Chikrin go to Edmonton. Not that I want to see Edmonton win, but Edmonton's got to believe that they have to they have to really put a foot forward. And I, I like the prospects that are there, and I think they give up more than Buffalo gives up to get Chikrin. And I, I say that because Edmonton's got a real need on defense, and as much as Buffalo would love to add a Jacob Chikrin, you know, they they're pretty set in their top four right now. Yeah, they got Darlene, they got power, they got uh oh the guy that they just extended. I can't his name is escaping me, but he's a phenomenal defensive defenseman who doesn't get them as much credit as he should. But he's Samuelson, maybe? Uh it is Samuelson, yes. Okay. And he he was the one where you know there was a lot of question about what is Buffalo thinking signing a guy who you know has next to no NHL experience to you know an eight year deal and I granted it it's not an expensive deal I think it was south of five million a year and and he's definitely lived up to it but you know he's twenty two years old. And, you know, that contract expires when he's 30. That That's a perfect contract. That is. It's why I love what the Wild did with Baldy re- recently. Like we've seen with Keller, like we've seen with Chikrin, when you sign these young guys to long-term deals, the first couple of years of it might be a little rough. And you're taking a risk that they don't keep progressing, granted. But... After those first couple years, if the cap grows the way it should again, starting in a year, those contracts are going to look like steel by the end of it. I mean, we've we've seen plenty of times where, you know, a, a guy signs the the five or six year deal that looks real good. He has one year, maybe two, and then the progression stops. 
Yeah, it's it's a risk. It's a risk, absolutely. For getting value contracts, it's the easiest way, I should say, to get a value contract. It is definitely risky, but I'd also argue it's a risk to give a developing player a two-year bridge deal and then watch him double his points pace and double his production in those two years and then request $3 million more per year on his next contract that you're going to sign long-term with him. Well, the perfect example of that is what Calgary's just gone through and Matthew Kachuk being in Florida now. You know, he, he had talked about how he was ready to sign a long-term deal for around $8 million a year. And Calgary didn't like the $8 million number, so he signed the three-year, $7 million bridge term, or bridge deal, and now decides he doesn't want to be in Calgary, and off he goes to to Florida, and he's a a top-five winger in the NHL. And Yeah, and if they had just signed that $8 million deal that time. Chuck on an $8 million deal. Oh Long term. I mean, is there a bigger fumble of? And granted, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, there's there's no guarantee anybody's ever gonna work out. But man, if if you're Brad Krevling, you 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 really really fumbled that one. Yeah, no kidding. Tyler, sorry, we uh, kind of went off track there for a bit, but do uh, you have anything you want to add to this convo? Uh, no, I'm just sitting eating my nerds and enjoying the uh, enjoying the show, to be honest with you. I kind of figured that's, that's what it was. I just wanted to make sure you knew I was, I was thinking of you. No, oh, no, you're good. You guys are, no, no, I'm liking it. I'm actually looking at our, our roles to see if uh, I can make it to where you can run the software so you guys can do more firesides, because I was liking this. I'm like, you know, Ideas, like come mid podcast. Uh, so, but uh, no, I love it. I really do. Uh, I wish, like, dang, I'm like just it's like an episode of ESPN, but good. <laughs> uh, good PH and X. Oh, sorry. Say that this loud. is this is this is mine and uh, this is mine and Matt's DMs pretty much daily. I like it. So, yeah, if you go through the Twitter messages, it's it's a lot of what ifs and. What would you do in this situation? Yeah, I yeah. like it. the true fireside, honestly. So, to get us back on track a little bit, where are we at? Because I have lost all track of that. So, really, the only thing we have left to cover is the drafting you wanted to cover, which sounds like you kind of mixed it in there. Uh, obviously, our guests about coyotes more, our tradition, and then my question yep. of the week, which I'll also give to the boys next week as well. So. Actually, you know what, Sounds. Matt? Let me ask you something real quick, if I may have your attention. Yeah. So let's say um, his name escapes me. Um, Gary Bettman appears before you and says, "Hey, I'm going to give you the option to change whatever you want about the sport of hockey or the NA- and or the NHL. What do you do? What do you tell him?" <sighs> so I saw this on. I don't know if it was on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Hockey Sunrise, we did it out originally. One of one of the the biggest responses, and I I kind of agree with it, was the puck over glass rule. Um, I 
short of something obvious and intentional, I, I've hated that rule for a long time. Um, but as much as I'd like to see that change, I would love to see the NHL go to international sized ice. The, the 100 by 200 foot rink, as opposed to the 85 by 200 foot rink. So basically the Olympic sheet. More um, goal scoring? Um, a little more skilled play. You, you have a little more time, a little more space. It'll lend itself to, to a few more goals, but a lot, of, a lot of the guys that come into the league with great hands um, or great speed tend to get bottled up a little bit because of the narrower ice. And I think a little bigger sheet makes for a little more fun. And, and we've seen that in the IIHF Worlds competitions when they're held overseas. It One thing I've noticed watching these when it happens that really shows is the smaller defenseman like a uh, Lane Hudson really, really shines on the larger ice versus, oh, just for purposes sake, uh, Maverick Lamoureux type. Um, because the size with the extra ice and the extra space, the size doesn't mean as much as it does. It's not as clogging. It's not as um, it's not as able to restrict play as it is on this ice. And that's one thing I really like is watching those small skilled guys really able to open up and do stuff like that. And, and there's a lot of people that think the game on Olympic sheet isn't as physical it doesn't lend itself to old-time hockey but i disagree a little bit um you might not have quite as many of those big hits that rattle the glass all the way down you know from one blue line to the next but you see a lot more open ice hitting and open ice hitting you know hip checks uh you know just the the dirty shoulders the there's an element to that that we don't see a lot of in the NHL that is actually a lot of fun to watch. It, it catches you by surprise. No, it's it's still a physical game overseas. That's why I always laugh when people talk about European softies. It's like you've clearly never seen a European game. It's more open. It's more able. To, the little guys are more able to skate around. A lot of those little guys are also able to throw the body pretty well in the open ice. It's fun. It always it always has been fun, whether it's Olympics or or juniors or even just the occasional Euro League game I've been able to watch. I've always enjoyed watching the larger ice. I agree and. You know, for a lot of the people that do disagree, they don't realize that North America is the only place where they don't play on, you know, a 100 by 200 foot sheet of ice. And even even to that point, um, Canada at one point adapted a hybrid rink, which I believe was 92 and a half feet 
by 100, which, you know, split right down the middle between North American ice and, you know, the rest of the world. And I, I don't know that it really took off. Um, I do know that, uh, you know, there's still leagues played on sheets like that. But, um, yeah, that, that would be my change. One thing, one thing, I saw this a couple years back. And with this idea, I wanted to get your, um, I think this was one of Jeff Merrick's crazy what-if theories he threw out there as a way to kind of brew more home ice advantage type thing. But uh, I think that's where I saw it, but I can't, again, be certain. But the idea of not having a regulation-sized rink and allowing teams to make a rink as big or as small as they want to what do you think of that kind of an idea so not to lead this off into a tangent about you know or not a tangent but to you know end up in a whole other area but i've been playing in line um you know with the lack of ice in tucson we have the tcc we've got one league we're getting some new ice sheets built i'll transition back to ice but um the the inline rink that we have here, I don't even know the size offhand, but I can tell you that across the country, the rinks vary in sizes, and a lot of the semi-pro and pro teams play on different size rinks. Um, I've played a couple of tournaments in Vegas, and the rink up there, I would venture to guess, was probably 40 to 50 feet longer and maybe 20 feet wider. Um and then I've played in Yuma, where the rink's smaller than the rink we have here in Tucson. Um, they also have varying heights of glass. Uh, the Peoria Sportsplex, um, that's relatively new up there in Phoenix, their indoor roller rink uses the same short glass uh, all the way around the rink as opposed to the high glass that's traditionally in the corners. Um, so I, I don't want to say Merrick's idea is not an original idea, um, but it's actually kind of a cool idea. I, you know, it, it mirrors baseball in a way where every stadium's built differently. Um, but I don't mind the idea. Um, you set a minimum and a maximum length and width, uh, to account for the fact that you're not going to adjust for the number of skaters that are playing at one time. I mean, you don't want to see a team build a rink that's 150 feet by, you know, 70 feet wide and say, we're going to play four on four the whole game. That's what uh, FIFA does. FIFA lets you, when you're building your pitch or whatever you can, as long as it meets like a 190 by or 120 to 90, whatever thing, you're allowed to have whatever size pitch you want to fit your tactics and play style. Drone and line, FIFA was pitch. FIFA was a league that uh, Merrick Merrick said he took the idea from. So that's a cool idea. I yeah, like it. I don't hate the idea. Um, the only the only potential problem that I might see are injuries based on you know a, a guy has a rough. I'm when you play, you have a rough idea when you're in your own zone or in the offensive zone, how far you are from the boards based on, you know, your proximity to one of the circles or the goal line or, you know, the blue line and vice versa. 
and somebody may brace for a hit thinking they're a foot, foot and a half off the boards when they would be on their own home sheet and they're five feet off the boards and they get blasted. And most players, when they get hurt, it's because they're not against the wall when they get hit and they get hit towards the wall and they go in awkwardly. So my biggest concern in that situation would be a rise in injuries. But from every other standpoint, I love what that would do for home ice advantage. Yeah, that's that was where I really liked the idea was the home ice advantage. If you build a bigger rink, you can build a more quick team, but then you're at a disadvantage when you go play in a smaller rink type thing, whereas vice versa for a team that builds a smaller rink and builds big. It's just it was a fun idea. It's one of the reasons I love 32 Thoughts podcast is it seems like Jeff Merrick has something like that he'll throw out at least once a pod. It's it's a great listen. He's always entertaining as hell for me. I agree. And and honestly, Friedman's one of you know the I him and Frank Cervelli are probably the two guys in the hockey world, you know, who if they say something you know, you can almost take it to the bank. Yep. Which is so, why I'm really wondering on veggie if he's actually available now that Friedman said something. So I did notice, uh, I don't remember who retweeted it. I wish I could give them a mention here. Um, but I, I think it's the hockey news or the hockey writers or whoever it is. They do those, those info infographic things that we see on Twitter that are, you know, a, a very short sentence that are usually misleading, followed by, you know, uh, a, a short explanation. And one of them was, according to, um, you know, Friedman, these are the Coyotes trade chips. And it was um, Nick Ritchie, Nick Bukestad, Jacob Chikrin, Shane Goss, Despair, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And lastly, Carl Vimelka. And I don't remember who retweeted it, but they tagged Craig in the tweet and said that if Craig doesn't say it, it's not true. And Craig responded, um, and, and I'm not quoting verbatim because I don't remember exactly what the words were, but he reported the Coyotes aren't shopping Vimelka but I'm sure the Coyotes have a price in mind, and if somebody's willing to meet that price, the Coyotes don't see Vimelka as being unmovable. Sounds right. So let me ask you guys, if you're Bill Armstrong, do you move Vimelka? I don't know. I set my price crazy. Yeah, I set my price high because you need we've we've talked about it in the past you need that goalie going forward even if he's not the goalie of the future you need the goalie of the now you can't have a guy that's letting in beach balls you can't have louis Domingue rick tockett's first year here that just it kills any momentum the team can get going um i still feel like rick tockett's whole tenure was doomed by those 16 games of Louis Domingue before Wedgwood came and bailed us out. Um, yeah, I, I could see that to an extent. Um, so, expanding on that thought, Ivan Prosvitov, 
<clears throat> will have to clear waivers next year. And you've just added Connor Ingram, who at one point was a pretty highly touted prospect. And uh, who's looked pretty solid in the last couple he, games. He really has. He really has. So does your price on Vemelka have to be that high to move him oh. if your thoughts are Connor Ingram? And, and granted, Vemelka's played pretty poorly as of late. Last year, he was a middle-of-the-road goalie with flashes of, you know, being in a, a top-tier goalie, and then he kind of played like that to start the year. But I, I don't know that Connor Ingram is going to be that goalie to give up those beach balls um, and those real bad goals. Uh, he stopped 100 and, 158 of his last 170 shots. Now, I don't know the math right off the top of my head, but that's somewhere around a 925, 930 save percentage, I believe. Um, you know, that, that to me, I don't want to say it's it, made Vimica expendable, but my asking price doesn't need to be astronomical because it doesn't make sense to move him. Now it kind of makes sense, or now you kind of have to ask yourself, does it make sense not to, knowing that you've got to put Prosvitov on waivers next year? So what what would be your price be? Because there's quite a few teams, LA, uh, Toronto, there's quite a few teams in the playoffs with very well, we all know goalies don't bring a lot. Um, the there's a couple of benefits to trading for Vimelka. I think his contract's two point eight six five million a year or something along those lines. Um, and I I believe they extended him last year, so and it was a three year deal, so he's got two years remaining after this, I believe. So you're not just getting Vimelka for one year, and you're not getting him on a bad contract. Um, you're not going to get the Darcy Kemper first rounder for him, even though that, that turned out to be pick 32. Um, but would you, you know, would you take him, uh, a second rounder from a team like LA, who's probably not going to make it out of the first round? You know, the, the odds are LA is going to play Seattle or Vegas, and the way those two teams have played all year, LA is not going to make it out of the first round. So, do you take a second I, round here, knowing that it's probably going to be late forties, early fifties in that that range? The price I had set in my head was a second in something small, whether that was a prospect who needs to be signed at the end of this year, you're going to lose, or something like that. But a, a second in the sixth, or a second in something along that lines. So, so speaking of LA, um, I think Cal Peterson was like three years, six million a year, and he's in the AHL right now because he's been so bad. If LA calls and says we want Vimelka, we'd like you to take Cal Peterson's contract. Um, and, and granted, Peterson could be a reclamation project, you know. Uh, he could be something worth trading two years from now if he rebounds. What does it take to take on Peterson's contract while sending Vimelka? I mean, if LA offers you their first round pick in this year's draft and 
you know, a, a B-level prospect out of their incredibly deep prospect pool, how do you say no to that? You know, you Where? pay Peterson for a couple of years and you, you have Ingram and, and uh, Prosvitov. You can waive Peterson if you want. You know, you, you have a ton of options at that point. So I know we're probably done adding the small, the small wingers to this team, but where would you have an Alex Turcotte type prospect with the Kings who's shown flashes, who had high pedigree at one point, but due to injuries and inconsistent play has really fallen down their ladder and has been surpassed by guys like Velarde. I don't see a scenario where Armstrong is looking at Turcotte um, as being a, a centerpiece around that. Now, granted, I guess it depends on how you're looking at things. If you're looking at, would I take on a bad contract to add Alex Turcotte? Well, yeah, I would. Um, would I take on a bad contract and give up the Melka for Turcotte? Mm, if I could. Well, I, was, I was thinking more like him being that B-level prospect coming back our way where he's. I can't imagine prob- I would use him as a B-level prospect, though. I, there's there's still uh, an age component there because Turcotte's, what, 20, 21? He's 21. He just turned 21, I believe. He, yeah, I, I can't see them looking at him that far down their system, especially when you have a guy like Viardi that just graduated to your your big club, and Viardi's, what, 23? Yeah. Viardi was the 11th overall pick in. I just, I just look at, uh, I just look at LA, and I don't see where Turcotte fits into their lineup going forward. No, but I can't imagine Rob Blake is looking to just give a guy away because he may not fit. I, I still think Rob Blake is looking and going, uh, you know, Turcotte is two years removed from, you know, being Turcotte went ninth overall. Eighth overall, somewhere in there? Fourth overall, fourth overall. Fourth overall, wow. Okay, I think I had him maybe eight on my board, and that's what I'm remembering. But, yeah, I I can't imagine that two years removed from being the number four overall pick that, you know, Rob Blake's looking at him and going, he's probably not going to fit. We'll give him up for a little. I mean, that would be like the Rangers saying, well, Lafreniere's not really fitting in. He's not panning out here. You know, somebody give us a late first rounder for him. Yeah, you know, it's just not going to happen. No, that makes sense. It's just, I liked him pre-draft. I didn't love him, but I liked him pre-draft. I saw him as another Clayton Keller type, which probably means we don't need him. We don't need another Clayton Keller type on this team. Overall, that blows my mind that I forgot that. I I didn't have him anywhere near that high. Like I said, I no because nine ten somewhere around there. I remember that year. That was the Zebras draft, right? Uh, I kept yeah. Ex- yeah, it was Zebras kept- uh, cousins, um, Kirby Doc. That, that it was that draft. I there was no. Maybe no it was fifth. Could have been no. either way. Either way, in the top five. I think yeah. Oh yeah, he went too high. I don't think there's any question about that. Especially 
I was watching that draft and I was wondering how all these teams are passing on Zegris. I saw him as the third best player in that draft behind Hughes and Kako. I I was I was one of those guys who wasn't real high on Zegris, and then Zegris had a great year last year, but Zegris hasn't had a very good year this year. And one of the one of the things that you can look at and go, it's okay because you're doing this is a player's or a center and the lack of defense that they play. Um, when Zegris is a 60 point guy, I don't think it matters. I don't think anybody really cares that his defense isn't great, but his defense has absolutely been terrible this year. And he isn't an offensive stalwart this year. I think, I think he's on pace for like a 65 point season still. Um, I can't remember. It's he's, Doing okay. It's not nearly as good as last year. He definitely doesn't have a flash as he had last year. But I also think long term, I think he'll eventually get moved to wing. Given some of the guys that they've drafted, given the fact that they're going to have a high pick this year and could be looking at Leo Carlson or Adam Fantilli. Uh, Zegris on Fantilli's wing or Zegris on McTavish's wing, I think could look great. But I think long-term Zegris is going to be moved to wink. And actually, you're right. I didn't realize he was already up to 35 points. Um, now, that said, um, looking at you know recent games from, uh, from Zegris, he's had points in every game but one over his last 11. Um, so... You know, a, a big part of that rebound is the fact that it, it looks like he's got like 12 points or 13 points over his last 11 games. So prior to basically the new year, you know. Yeah, uh, no, he was he, he was really struggling to start the year, especially yeah. that first month. Yeah, Troy, Troy Terry's taken a huge fall as well. Uh, that, I and I've been watching this, and it's not looking great. I don't know how we didn't expect that with Troy. Like, there's things about Troy Terry's game I like, but nothing that jumps off the page. He's, he's seen- I agree. Like, he was due for that that drop off, but man, the drop off he's had. It's yeah, rough. really. No, rough. I didn't. I didn't think it was going to be this big of a drop off, but yeah. Oh, um, well, I mean, when you think about it, you know. Uh, especially considering Zegers called uh, Jay Beagle what a, a plug and Troy Terry a forty goal scorer last year after you know um, after Jay Beagle beat the hell out of him and you know Troy Terry's on pace for twenty goals this year you know when he scored thirty seven last year yeah, that's that's incredible that is a fall off. It um, is, and and right in the middle of his prime too. He's only twenty five years old. No, he's not a guy who should be having a fall off. He's a guy who should be growing. And I am sorry, Tyler. We went way off track again. Oh, so anyway, right, back, back right. to the question. Back to the question. What would it take for you to give up Vimelka? Right. Uh, mine is a second and a sixth. A second and a sixth. 
Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd be okay with that. High asking price for sure. Um, so, according to Russo, uh, the Yotes GM, Bill Armstrong, thinks they can get up to a second-round pick for Bukestad. He could even return to Arizona in the summer. I'm all for that. If he returns to the if he returns to us in the summer and gets us an asset at the deadline, I am all for that. Um because I think that my issue with him is us not trading him at the deadline and watching him turn into another Travis Boyd. But his locker room leadership alone is worthy of him coming back. And if we still got an asset for him at the deadline, sign me up. I oh, yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. And when you talk about his trade value, um, I mean, if you look back to last year at the trade deadline, Coyotes got a third-round pick from Washington for Johan Larson. I think Bukestad's considerably better this year than Larson was last year. I guess the uh, yeah, last thing to kind of we have to do is uh, Matt, your Mount Rushmore for the Coyotes. Um. All right. So my my two obvious ones are Shane Doan and Keith Kachuk, and everybody knows why. Um. Anybody that doesn't have them on their Mount Rushmore is either 10 or 11 years old and never saw either of them, you know, really play or really remembers them playing, um, or they're lying to themselves, to be honest. Um, Gary Bettman's one, and I know he he should be on a lot of Arizona fans' Mount Rushmore. I, without him, the team's not here. I know he's just an arm for the owners. Um, you know, he works in their best interest, but a commissioner still has to swing or sway the, the owners to, to go along with his plan, his, his image, his idea, his vision. And, uh, you know, look how easily over the last, you know, 20 years, Atlanta saw their team move. Um, you know, I, they were there for what, five years and they were gone, and it happened within a year. And Bettman is stuck behind the Coyotes through bankruptcy, through ownership changes. Um, I, he's a huge reason why they're still here. Um, so without him, I don't think this podcast exists. There is no Arizona hockey Mount Rushmore. Um, you know, he's he's the reason they're here. And my fourth, and it might be a little premature, but it's Alex Morello. Um, Arizona's had numerous owners since, you know, uh, 2009. And none of them have done anything other than talk about how they're going to look to move them back into, you know, the the East Valley or even into Central Phoenix. Um They've all talked about, you know, the great ideas they have. The the Arizona Ice organization that was um, Andrew Barraway and, you know, like 16 other individuals who, you know, came in, bought the team, got Glendale to agree to a lease, 
and then Glendale broke the lease, citing bad faith. Um, everybody basically sold out to Barraway. Barraway didn't have the money to do anything with the team. Um, but now we're uh, we're going to see a vote in a couple of months about a two billion dollar entertainment district uh with a focal point being an arena and a practice facility and you know 30 years of basically a no movement for the team stability that you know the coyotes get to build on um and that's that's ultimately what you want um so without the morello group i i don't know how much more you know of a leash the league would have given the coyotes um so yeah it might be early and nothing's done yet uh but tentatively you know morello takes jeremy ronick's spot and mostly because as much as i love jeremy ronick as a kid jeremy ronick as a person is an asshole so for me it goes to morello that's fair that's yeah i think uh, he would be on like a Post whatever Mount Rushmore for sure. I mean, the guy's gonna build what is it, like one point seven billion into the uh, arena with his own money. I mean, that's quite dedication. So when Let's the mean, Ted goes, when the Ted goes up, he absolutely is on. He is transfixed into that fourth spot in my mind. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dome's gotta mm-hmm. be on there. Chuck will never leave. Those two are solid, but I could see for sure Morello. Slipping in there. And Batman, I actually totally agree with the Batman thing. That actually, you're perfectly right on that. I totally agree with that. Maybe a statue at the bottom on my Mount Rushmore, but yeah, definitely. On there for sure. Everyone's, everyone's had Doan, everyone's had Kachuk. But the other two names have been interesting for every single guest we've had on here. Mm-hmm. So, always love that. Yep, it's my probably favorite thing to ask, to be honest with you. But I think that's uh, I think it's a wrap, boys. I think kind of, I think we covered everything we wanted to cover this week. Um, you guys have any um, final before yeah. before you wrap it up? I'd like to remind everybody that Tempe will be putting this to a public vote here in a few months. Um, any resident of Tempe, go out and vote yes. Do not forget. Um, this is the last step in getting approval and uh, they need all the support they can get. I I know polls show, you know, that, that things look good, but don't leave it to chance guys. We'll definitely have to do some kind of special for that too. Obviously it was called Monster Planet, but hopefully we can get something done. That'd be pretty fun. Absolutely. We'll do something. We'll figure something out for sure. That's definitely on the slate in the future episodes. But uh, Matt, thank you, sir, for coming on. It was a joy to have you. I absolutely love the conversation. I'll definitely have you on again. I'll be back. Um, if you guys want to do like some kind of draft special or something around yeah, the water do. or whatever, I'd I'd love to be part of that as well. We will absolutely, do our, our uh, we call it that uh, Twitter thing. Twitter Paris Twitter space. Or, Spaces, that's what it's called, not Periscope, Twitter Spaces. We'll have that, of course, and we'll probably have a draft special we usually do, so you'll definitely be a part of that, for sure. So, I'm looking forward to that. Alright, guys, well, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I hope you guys enjoy your night, and uh, 
hopefully as painful as it is, we see a few more Coyotes losses before the month's out. And we see us drop just a little more in the standings. Oh, yeah. Got to get that top three pick this year. Got to get it. That would be so huge for the rebuild, man. Uh, but anyways, yeah, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Matt, for being on. It was a joy talking hockey with you. Thank you, Tyler, for hosting this great podcast every week. Oh, yes. It's always fun. Favorite part of the week, boys. And from the other two boys and all of us here, we'll see you next time.